Welcome to Adventures in Business. This is a show where we have thought-provoking conversations with founders, CEOs, and business leaders of various industries to learn about their stumps, falls, trials, tribulations, and successes on how they manage the current business environment. Join our hosts, Mandy Graziano and Amani Roberts, as we chat with our next guest. So here we are, another episode of Adventures in Business. It's September 26th. Um, we have some people in the chat. Adrian Gomez, hello. Dean LeBay, hello. Welcome. Welcome. Good to see you. Mandy, how are we doing? I'm doing awesome. I am doing awesome. I uh, I had a crazy week. Do you want to hear about my crazy week, Amani? I do. I do. I want to hear everything. All the tea. I want to hear all the tea. <laughs> oh, I'll spill the tea. I'll spill. That's what yeah. the kids say. I'm going to spill the tea. I know. <laughs> I was in, uh, I went to Cayman Island last week, which I learned that you pronounce it Cayman. That's how you say mm. it. Like Pac-Man, Cayman. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was there for a site inspection for a president's club trip for like 350 people. And it was awesome. Like they claim that they are the culinary capital of the Caribbean and it stayed true. Like the vegetables were colorful and fresh. I don't think I had one piece of cheese or dairy while I was there. It was, mm -hmm. it was beautiful. I mean, the fish was fresh. Everything was so great. And the hotels were beautiful. We saw Seafire Resort, Weston, uh, Ritz. We saw there's so much development going on. Um, right. Rum Point, which used to be kind of like this shanty little picnic table zone, is now going to be right. this beautiful renovated beach club. And you can do offsite events there for like a thousand, take a take a boat there and everything you'd go. The, the airport's 15 minutes and mm -hmm. every boat trip is 15 minutes. It's you know how you sometimes go to an island and you have to go to the marina and then you have to take 40 minutes. It was just everything was easy, accessible. And I was so I was just so impressed. Um, I didn't want to come home, but it was really yeah. impressed. It opened my eyes for some other meetings. So I was excited to be there. Okay. Good, yeah. good. I have to yeah. add that to my list of places to visit. Sounds sounds like I need to do that. Add it to your list. What about you? How was your week? What happened? Let me think what happened this week. Just It was just more school teaching. Um, had an in-person uh, game show gig where we played Family Feud for this association down in Orange County. So that was fun and that was good. That's one of the first, third or fourth ones I've done in person and it went very well. We set up the technology, we were outside, had it on all the screens, they were into it, very competitive. That was probably the highlight of the week, I would say. I think I saw that. Did you post that on social media? It looked like you were in a parking lot. Were you at a, was that for a business park or what? that was for an association that was at a business park? That. It was a Ford Associate that was at like an office business park. We were kind of in their outdoor little lounge area where they had TVs and a bar set up. So yeah, that's where we were. That's fun. How many people played Family Feud? Like how many did you rally in that group? We had four teams of five. And so we had the winners. We had a bracket. We had a winner's bracket, a loser's bracket. Then you come back through and whoever the winners play, it was a competitive game because I think we got through about 21 different like categories. So it was it was fun. Oh, that sounds so fun. I want to play, I want to play Family Feud. Yes. yes I, uh, <laughs> I had high tea yesterday, too. I had a speaking engagement where um, we talked about the power of conversations and how okay. to instigate clever conversations and how not to be a lame, boring conversationalist. And that was uh, that was super fun. That was but we did it over high tea at the Westgate Hotel. And I had never done high tea there. It was really 
it was really relaxing. The conversations were awesome. And it was uh, it was an honor to be a part of that. That happened yesterday. Oh, last night I went to Weird Al Yankovic, too. Was that, how I, was that show? <laughs> oh, my God. I love him. I love Weird Al is a genius. And his his lyrics are amazing. But he didn't play any of the popular parodies. He no, played all, all of right. his originals. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. He played all his originals. So that was okay. that was at Balboa Theater in San Diego. So that was really awesome, right. too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know in San Diego next weekend, you have TwitchCon that's going to be there. So it's a really big event where all the people from Twitch come down there for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I think. Yeah. So tell me about that. Cause I keep seeing you post, this is what I wanted to ask you. I keep seeing you post about a Twitch award show and Twitch nominations. So how, in, I feel like you are Mr. Twitch now. So can you, <laughs> for, for, can you explain what Twitch is to everybody listening or everybody that's going to rewatch, explain what Twitch is, explain what you do and how you're involved with these nominations. Cause I keep seeing this and I'm like, is he running right. Twitch now? What's going on? With the <laughs> I'm not doing that. No, it's like a live streaming platform. Just how we're streaming live on LinkedIn here. It's, it's a live streaming platform. It's been around for almost 10 or been around for maybe 14 or 15 years. And so you have your own channel and you kind of live stream. What you're seeing is that this is the second year where we're doing the Twitch TV awards, where it's like an awards celebration for kind of the music DJ streamers. We created this um, concept last year. And then this year we're doing it for the second year. We've had a bunch of nominations. Now we have voting, voting against tonight at midnight. Then next Monday we'll have the award show where we give out the awards. It's like a whole virtual award show. It's a really good case study for businesses who want to do something similar if they have people all over the world. Um, and so that's just what we're kind of doing to raise awareness and kind of give back to the community that I have on Twitch. And so that's just kind of what I've been working on lately. I also bring it into my classes that I teach, like project management, and give them an opportunity to critique it also. Um, so that's kind of a quick summary about it. That's so sweet. How many people will be at the live TwitchCon next weekend? And then how many people will virtually tune in all over the world? Yeah, so TwitchCon, I think they might be expecting around uh, seven to 10,000 people oh um, that will be coming in town. So it's going to be a pretty big thing downtown at the convention center, maybe yeah. more. They had one uh, earlier this summer at Amsterdam. I think they got four or 5,000 people. Um, so they expect maybe double to triple what they had in Amsterdam. And we come there like Thursday night, Friday and Saturday is pretty much the bulk of the, it's like a conference. You have a booths you have different seminars parties celebrations things like that cool that's awesome wow yeah. that's pretty impressive <laughs> i i didn't realize twitch i mean I, I just don't know much about twitch i just didn't realize it was that seven to ten thousand people is a huge citywide in san diego that's a pretty big deal it is a big deal it's a very big one and they they're probably gonna I don't know if they'll meet as much as they expected just because of kind of with vaccines and things like that so we'll see what happens but it, it will be a big big Citywide for sure. The whole city sold out. I think I can't even find a hotel. That's crazy. Well, if they need somebody to book their meeting for next year, tell them how to do it better. <laughs> okay. You know where to find okay. I will send them your information for sure. Send that my way. All right. Should we should we get to our guest? Yes. Let is let's bring Troy to the studio. Do you want to do a quick intro for him? How how should we intro intro him this week? I'll intro, I'll intro him and then we can bring him up unless he wants to do like a dance routine. We'll see. So I'll just introduce <laughs> him. We'll do that. So this is, this is Troy Hooper. He has founded so many things. I have to read it off of a piece of paper. Okay. So he's a founder and CEO of Kiwi Partners, Nourish Brands, Sandwich. He is Mr. Clubhouse, 
Mr. Chamber of Commerce. He is a, a chef certified with uh, at Johnson & Wales. Um, he is a proud dad and a hobby to a fellow hospitality nerd. His wife, Erin, works in the industry also. And nice. he's got a ton of stories. He's a general manager and, a, and an asset manager's best friend. He's got so many secret weapons to share yeah. with hotel and restaurant and hospitality operations. And I can't wait to talk to him. So Troy Hooper, come to the stage. Here you are. Here you are. I'll give you a little round of applause. Can you hear that? Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Welcome, Troy. It's so, so nice to meet you, have you here with us on the show. I think one of the things that Manny just shared is some secret weapons. Maybe what's your favorite secret weapon that you share with hotels when you're kind of giving them some tips on how to improve? I'm curious. Oh, hold on, you're on mute though. You're muted there. Let's make sure we unmute you here, unmute. It so sorry, there we are. There we go, okay. Yeah, so you know, se secret number one is, uh, and this is true for all businesses, uh, Treat people like people, not as tools and assets, right? So empathy first, right? You, you were in that role at one point, especially in hotels, even in restaurants. You know, we all started as busboy or, you know, uh, lowest lowest on the totem pole somewhere, right? Hotels, same thing. Uh, and, and we've all been there and been through that. So don't forget that and have empathy for your team. Okay. Okay. Good. What? Let's see here. There's so many questions I have. Maybe the most burning issue, because we kind of start with, with maybe the most burning issue is like, what's your perspective on how will hospitality, specifically hotels and restaurants, kind of staff moving forward? Because I know that's a huge issue in terms of hotels and restaurants. So what's your perspective on that and how, what can we look forward to in the future? Yeah, I mean, it really starts with retention. I mean, you have to focus on the people you have. It's the same with guests. You know, a lot of people spend a lot of money on marketing. Um, and, and marketing is important and I'm big into branding and marketing. Uh, we do a lot of things to help our clients out, but the reality is it's much cheaper, much easier, much faster to just market internally and make sure that you're taking care of not only your employees, but that they're in turn able to and empowered to take care of your guests. So, um, you've got to really focus on them and their needs. And the only way you're going to know that and, and be effective is to ask and, and no two people are the same. No two people want the same form of compensation or appreciation or reward or incentive. Um, it really now comes down to personalized. If you want your guests to receive personalized attention, you've got to make sure you're giving personalized attention to your teams. Um, this is tried and true. This is a guiding uh, foundational principle that's just been proven over and over again in some of the best, biggest businesses in the world. Um, and, and we, the little guys out here, need to adopt and and understand that, that 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 works for everybody because at the end of the day, we are humans leading humans who serve humans. And so we've really got to put the humanity back in hospitality. Ooh, like that. there was like yeah, sound bites in that one answer. That was <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. I have a follow-up question to that, Troy. Like, do you have an example of who out there is doing this the right way? Like who are there any companies, individuals, or, or just live examples of what you just said that you can just pass off to people that are listening or watching? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. Uh, we spend a lot of time in the emerging brand space. Um, we, we've done a lot with new hotel brands in the past, but now uh, with a heavy focus in the restaurant business, uh, we spend most of our time with uh, small, medium-sized brands that are really on the growth mode. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. I, I think in hotels, uh, we've always been huge fans of Kimpton. 
I think Kimpton lives its values still, even uh, long after the IHG acquisition. Uh, I think as a brand, they really uh, stay true. Uh, my wife worked for Kimpton and, uh, at one point, and that was well after we were longtime uh, guests and fans of, of Kimpton and raving fans because we've always uh, spread the gospel of Kimpton. So I think on the hotel and hospitality side, they do personalize uh, every interaction and every uh, stay and, and really try to uh, build experiences around uh, what you're interested in. And then on the food and beverage or restaurant side, uh, right now, I think the hottest, uh, best place to work and, and probably the place with the best culture is uh, Walk-On Sports Bistro. Uh, Walk-On Sports Bistro is a large format sports bar uh, founded in Louisiana, growing rapidly across the United States. And they really, really get it when it comes to team, right? It's it's kind of easy as a sports bar if you just follow team sports analogy and, and follow the the matrix that's the foundation's been laid in front of you, uh, it actually works and it works really well. So they've, uh, they, they're really killing it on the culture and retention and attraction. They've created a magnet. They, they have uh, both, both of those mentioned and many others, I'm sure, but have created a magnet by really putting their culture on display. And, and that's their marketing department. You know, their culture is really the head of the spear on the marketing efforts. I love that. Can you tell a little bit? I know mean, we jump right in because we're we're both so excited to talk with you. And I know Monty I'm and happy. I, I, I love to I, get to work. Yeah, we love it. It's, we know what you do, but can you share what Kiwi Brands is and can you share what Nourish Brands? Can you share what those businesses are and specifically yeah. what you do and who you help? Sure. So the Kiwi group of companies is um, about five companies that we own outright, and we're invested in partners and a number of others. But um, we built a conglomerate of companies that all do the same thing, and that is serve our clients and our partners and our own interests with our own brand. So uh, the, the, the one that most people know us for and we spend most time talking about is Kiwi Restaurant Partners. We help small and medium sized brands scale. So at the end of the day, we're an A to Z outsourced C-suite. We come in and look at every aspect of your business. We help advise on all of the opportunities you have to improve efficiency and optimize your business plan and your operations and, and your people, your HR, all of that. Um, and we help you build the prototype of the future of that brand, um, thinking about what the food of the future and your expression of your brand is going to be long term. And then we actually project manage and build many, many of the assets and uh, systems and processes for you. Uh, and then we implement them and, and we stay on with you until your team is up and running and able to sort of stand on its own in this new world of uh, we went from three to 15 or five to 25. So that's that's the evolution of our partnership. So basically anybody that raises their hand says, I've got a great idea. I've got a thriving business. I really want to see this thing grow. I want more of these. Um, we use a variety of methodologies like franchising as one. Uh, private equity and venture capital partnerships is another for corporate growth model. But on the restaurant side, that's what we do. For 20 years, we were in the hospitality asset management. So we took um, depreciating assets and turned them around and helped new owners uh, get into them and set themselves up for success. Uh, and we still do uh, play in that arena from time to time. Um, and then all of our companies that support that, we have real estate and uh, furniture, FF&E is a term we use in the industry for furniture fixtures and equipment business. Um, we have uh, people on our team that do branding and marketing, all kinds of, basically we're an all-in-one stop shop for uh, taking your brand to the next level and growing it. So that's that's the majority. Nourish Brands, as you mentioned, and thanks, Mandy, it's very sweet of you. Nourish Brands is our own brand group. We created it, uh, actually, we we're ready to launch it on uh, March 15th, uh, 2020. 
uh, and oh. got a big old red light uh, at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember standing in a very empty office building lobby with my partners, and we all said goodbye by tapping our toes together as our handshake. We all had masks on. We wouldn't get within 20 feet of each other. Uh, but but we've, we've since revitalized the Nourish Brands. And Nourish Brands today is eight brands that live under the umbrella of and, and the thesis of Nourish, which is uh, to provide seasonal, sustainable, organic where possible, uh, regional and direct source ingredient-based foods across multiple authentic genres. So we have a healthier version of Italian and healthy uh, healthier eating uh, in, in Indian and Chinese. American sandwich and barbecue. So clean, organic, direct, and known source ingredients that we change seasonally to make sure you're getting the freshest, healthiest version of that. But then we make it really delicious and, and still try to keep it as good for you as possible. So Nourish is coming to life in a variety of venue models uh, in 2023. Uh, we'll actually be heading to Las Vegas uh, to do some site scouting here soon. Just my one of my partners just left uh, my office and uh, we're, we're getting on track to get Nourish off the ground and uh, you're going to see it in pods, uh, these these boxes with multiple brands in them, and you're going to see them in a variety of other venues like universities and office parks and uh, and maybe even some large retail venues I can't talk about today. Ooh, super secret. Love that. Yeah. Now, my question, I have many questions, but I want to first ask you about technology. For someone who's got as much experience in the industry as you, I'm curious on your take. I started working in hotels when... We still had keys and we had to call the engineer to change the keys to the lock. We were just getting into the kind of key cards, which is so commonplace now. Out of all the experience you've had in the industry, what has been maybe the one or two biggest technological advancements that has really just kind of captured your your, your mind and your heart? Yeah, I, I think, um, look, and especially in hotels, we've always had the ability to track and personalize the experience. And I think we've all uh, done varying bad jobs of that with the exception of some very high-end luxury brands. I think Kimpton, obviously the JWs, the Four Seasons, these guys that we're used to talking about in that really personalized uh, space. But uh, that, that the technology has been there for a long time for us to really know our guests. Um, I, I do like the connectivity part of technology, the ability to text the front desk or just send out a message and get an answer to something while I'm in my robe, in my room, uh, scrambling for where is the iron or uh, I, I need a reservation for dinner in 30 minutes. Can you help me out while I'm showering and getting dressed and rushing? You know, that sort of personalized uh, concierge level service, even in the limited service space, I think uh, is fascinating. Um, I think there's still a lot to be done in that area to, for adoption for guests to, you know, we're used to downloading apps and scanning QR codes and stuff. Um, I think it should be a little bit easier. I think the brands need to do more work getting that technology in the hands of their uh, their franchisee partners, uh, their flag bearers uh, at the at their individual brands, you know. Um, but but so so communication is really the big one that I've enjoyed and I think has had the biggest impact uh, internally. I think there's a lot of behind the scenes, back of the house technologies, uh, some of these operating systems that have been stood up that allow a variety of these bolt-on products to come on. You can go out and get the solution you want. I'll tell you, from food and beverage in my days and uh, running hallways for room service trays. The, the, the little the little tags, the digital tags that track the tray coming out the front door and or, mm. or call and push and, and we'll come get your tray. That's been great because I'll tell you, even in some of the most luxurious hotels, you know, you can walk out at 530 or 6 in the morning for the airport and the hallways littered with, you know, half eaten mm -hmm. food, uh, some of that. So I, I, I like when technology solves problems and makes things more convenient for everybody. 
especially the employees and the owners and the operators. Uh, so it allows them to focus on the more important things like the people. Interesting. Thank you for sharing. Very interesting. Over to you, Mandy. <laughs> well, I was going to say that's one of my biggest pet peeves on site inspections is when there's just a hallway of room service trays. That's just, it's so gross. It's the grossest thing. And it says a lot about the hotel. So um, it's funny you brought that up, but I wanted to build on your technology answer. So, and if you, if you don't, you, I, I think you might know the answer to this, but I just curious about your opinion. How does the metaverse and AI and robots, how does that all fit into the future of hospitality in food and beverage or in hospitality, hotel operations, restaurant operations? Well, that's a whole show in and of itself with that one question. I've been doing entire podcasts and clubhouses on this. Yeah, I'll keep it succinct. It is the future. Okay. Period. End of story. It is the future. Now, let's let's set metaverse aside real quick. Let's talk about uh, applied sciences, applied technologies. That is, like you said, robots, AI bots, AI bots, virtual assistants or virtual uh, um receptionists, right? Virtual uh, service providers. Um, they're enormous. They're already here. Guys, this is not the future. They're already here. 277,000 drive-throughs in North America have a virtual drive-through attendant and you don't even know it. Um, that's a lot. They've taken over 4 billion orders in the last couple of years. And that's one company doing that service alone. And there's multiple in the space. So you're pulling up to a drive-through. You think you're talking to the 16 year old with the headset on and that is no longer there's even one now that there's professionals trained sitting at home at their dining room table on a laptop and they're taking your order at burger king mcdonald's chick-fil-a etc so I, I take that back not chick-fil-a chick-fil-a is always in person but uh but they're very technologically advanced company so it won't surprise me if they go that way but um it's here it's already been put in place um the comments in the ig handle uh, responding back to your review or questions or comments uh, is probably not a human today. Uh, a human is monitoring, a human is, is tagged to jump in if, if it doesn't know the answer, but uh, AI is answering most of those questions. So uh, it is the future, robots in food, robots in hotels, uh, robots at the bar, your coffee, your cocktail, your food run to your room, your delivery from an outsourced or insourced uh, food provider, all of that's robotic and, and it's only the only thing that's actually holding it back is the inability to make more robots faster. You would think producing electronics is something that the world has figured out, but robots are really complex and um, and they take a lot of uh, different parts that have to be sourced from all over the world. And so actually building them fast enough is the only hindrance to technology being more prevalent than it is today. Now, metaverse. Uh, metaverse is being built right in real time around us. And uh, to Amani's explanation of Twitch, uh, most of the people on Twitch are the ones building the metaverse for the rest of us. Because quite frankly, Twitch Twitch is simply a um, a conduit to an existing metaverse, right? Uh, what game or what uh, event or what um, uh, what activity do you want to participate in remotely? Uh, and Twitch has basically uh, facilitated a variety of metaverses. So uh, the metaverse is going to be big. I mean, and if I, I can just tell anybody, a lot of us old people talk about Back to the Future 2 and Minority Report. And, I, hey, I go back older to Total Recall. You want to check out some old movies that think about the future? Check those out. But, honestly, mm -hmm. if you haven't watched Ready Player One, when Steven Spielberg mm -hmm. got into a video game-making movie, uh, I, I didn't know what was going on. I had never heard of the metaverse until I watched that movie and heard people were raving about it. And then I found out about Twitch and what it really was. And now you have Roblox and Fortnite and all these other game-specific ones. But 
it's getting well beyond gaming, just like TikTok has gone beyond dancing into education and business to business uh, interaction and information sharing. Um, the, the metaverse is going to be a digital replication of the world and allow us to be global without actually being physically global. So um, the pandemic has certainly put a lot of interest in that because of the restrictions of traveling and some of the polit geopolitical issues that are out there with traveling. So the metaverse is not only going to allow us to travel the globe we live on, uh, but it's going to let us travel all the virtual worlds that can be created. Uh, and I think that's really going to unlock opportunities everywhere uh, across all of hospitality. Um, because as our friend Sean Walshoff says, uh, it's really about providing digital hospitality. We've got to convert our in-person hospitality into the digital form because that is really where the customer is and is going to be ever increasingly as they age up from younger generations. I love that. Well, so if a company, oh, sorry, you go, money. Well, I just want to say I highly recommend reading the book, Ready Player One. Also, the movie was good. The book is even better. Go ahead, man. <laughs> Ooh, I didn't I didn't know there was a book. All right. <laughs> Hot off the presses. Get the book. Watch the movie. Ready Player One. Um, yes. Well, I'm Ready I Player Two is coming out. So is Oh, is it? Okay. Yep. They're making number two. Uh, so we've got a couple comments here. I just want to say, uh, so Joe Caruso likes your jacket, Troy. And uh, Sean Joe. says that Troy is a gift to hospitality. And I agree. I agree with that. Um, <laughs> I, I know him. we're talking about the future, which is rad. But I want to go into the way back machine for a second. Mm -hmm. And I want to go back to your corporate days, your, your corporate days of working at Procter & Gamble. And wow. when you were, you know, like way back when, when you Give were it out the real secrets. Yeah. <laughs> like way back then. So I'm just curious, like how, what did you do there? How was that experience for you? And then how did that inform what you do now? Like, are you using any of those practices back then as practices now? All of it. So okay. um, I was recruited in business school to go work for Procter and Gamble. Um, it was, it was not, not on my radar. I was going to own and operate restaurants, hotels, resorts. I was going to open a, a dive-centric resort in Belize. I had big picture plans, right? Uh, but uh, somebody wrote a number on a napkin to a very young 20-something-year-old uh, in his senior program in business school, and uh, this guy couldn't ignore that number. So I went to Procter & Gamble. It was a phenomenal experience. Uh, very formative, right? Procter & Gamble. Talk about a company that invested in its people. Now, it's been many years, okay, 20 plus years. But that being said, uh, they invested heavily in their people, our knowledge. Uh, they allowed us to, they empowered us with tools and resources and dollars, and they let us fail. Uh, they gave us expectations and guardrails, but they let us fail because in that came the innovation. Uh, Parker & Gamble is known really for one thing, and that's innovating. Uh, what they don't build, they buy, and what they buy, they make better. And um, they really, really build a foundation around each individual. And I was given so many tools and resources and so much knowledge and mentorship and education, straight up education, sent me to these um, incredible uh, research facilities where uh, these massive PhDs did all this um, down talking to us and sort of uh, translating to us so we understood what was going on in the science of things. So a, a tremendously uh, formative experience for me. I ended up, um, I was on the sales team and uh, ended up taking over a very important market, did very well there. I think the less I knew, the better, because I just did life the way I thought life needed to be done. And we did what was then called influencer marketing. Um, mm. 
influencer marketing is really uh, network marketing or you know, the pyramid stuff in a way. Like I'm going to go to the top five guys in this field and I'm going to spend a year and a half convincing them that this is the answer to their problem. This is something they need to promote because the time I spend there will trickle down and affect thousands of people. Now I can pay for them to sponsor them at a conference and they can talk about our products, our services, our solutions. And that is going to influence the rest of that niche field. And we were in medicine, nutritional uh, products and, uh, and some laboratory products and equipment. So, um, so we, we convinced the top tier uh, experts in the area of the field. And then we worked the line down from there. We built up, we built up a pipeline from that. So really taught me a lot about sales. I had 386 people under me at one point um, when I was asked to go and uh, head up the education department uh, for Procter & Gamble's uh, sales team. So to actually do the sales through education and network marketing training. So you and I, Mandy, have a lot more in common than you even knew, even though I I've known you for know. a while. We should take yeah. our act on the road too. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> we, should, we should we should compare notes. I'm pretty sure things have changed since 1998, <laughs> 99, 2000. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that was my history at Parker Gamble. And and like I say, I think it's uh, I think it was a, a godsend that uh, I was invited. I was I was handpicked by somebody who knew somebody who had been watching me uh, do some entrepreneurial things, do some uh, startup things while in business school, and uh, and it, it just all worked out. Uh, I actually left because corporate, you know, I, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. I grew up in, in a third, fourth generation entrepreneurship uh, mindset. Uh, I learned a lot. I was paid well. I set myself up for uh, being uh, financially capable of going out on my own and trying things. And um, and it, it was it was a worthwhile venture, but it came to an end. Uh, strangely enough, one day it just hit me. I was like, you know, uh, blue suits, white shirts. And Cincinnati, Ohio, for a guy who lived in Miami and got to travel the world on Procter & Gamble's credit card, I just didn't see the big gray tower in the sky as the future of, the, of my career. So uh, I got out and, and got back on the uh, on the hospitality train. I love that influencer marketing, uh, that premise, because it is that is the premise, right? You 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 pick the top five people to share your message, and then it does trickle down. Now, whether that's social media or TikTok or whether that's just going to a doctor's office, that's a that's a translatable uh, thing that can that yes. can you know that can happen through the years. So I love that that pickup from that. That's really cool. Well, and if I, can I leave you a tidbit from that experience? I didn't. Let me give you a thing that I got from that. It, and you hear a lot of people talk about it. Gary Vee just a couple of days ago put out a video said the same thing. Uh, it's just tried true human stuff. Is uh, if you do what you love every day, you'll never work a day in your life. And for those few years that I was there. I was very passionate. We were changing the way things were done in an entire field by force, by sheer education, research, dollars, you know, uh, training, things like that. Um, proof. We did things and we showed proof. Um, and I very at a young age, I was I was imported by my clients. These doctors said to me uh, very regularly, listen, I don't know if what you're telling me is true or not, but I'm going along with it because you believe in it, because you're so passionate, Troy. You believe in that so much. How can I? How can I not? How can I not at least give it consideration? How can I not at least look further and give it a try? Because um, man, if somebody like you is so passionate and so educated and and getting so much feedback from the world, 
uh, and you still believe in it, uh, man, I, I've got to I've got to get on board. So, you know, that's the reality is as long as I believe in something, as long as you believe in what you are doing and what you're building and what you're trying to accomplish, um, there's really nothing that can get in your way because conviction and uh, passion will, will absolutely get you where you want to go in career, in relationship, in life in general. Very Amen. true. Very Sorry, true. little Tony Robbins type moment there. That's okay. I want to kind of go back a, a little more recently, like to 2020, March, April timeframe. Why did you become active and so prominent on Clubhouse? How has Clubhouse benefited you personally and professionally? Yeah, you know, this um, this a week and a half ago, maybe let's just say two weeks ago, about September 11th, 12th, 13th, um, it was my 30th year in, in hospitality um, and, and, and all but about five or six years of that being at Park and Gamble. And I, um, I had something to give back. I felt that after 24 years, 20, what is it? 27, 28 years, whatever it was a couple of years ago. Now, uh, I, I just felt like I wanted to share, uh, I, I, the pandemic was locking me in. I wasn't able to sell or share or educate <laughs> or train or build uh, anything. The world came to a halt. And uh, I was really building um, my presence on LinkedIn at the time. And I thought, okay, I'm going to just start putting stuff out on LinkedIn, uh, just sharing experiences and stories and uh, and lessons and, and learnings uh, to help people, especially in this pandemic time. And uh, I actually have no idea how I found out about Clubhouse. Um, I know Sean Walsh, who I think is here and listening. I know I saw him actually on YouTube. And I think that, that maybe that's where I heard Clubhouse for the first time. And I just popped in. I just downloaded the app. I said, what is this social audio thing? What are people doing? They're talking to each other. And I downloaded the app and I fumbled around in it. And um, I don't think it was a very good interface and very discoverable at the time. It was very early on. Uh, but I found a couple of people. I found a couple of people in the tribe, right? I found some restaurant and hospitality people that were having conversations and inviting people to have conversations. Chip Close. Hi, Chip. Uh, uh, you were the first guy I found uh, behind Sean and Guy uh, Guy Clark. Those were my three uh, amigos on Clubhouse early in the day. And it was just a chance to connect. And, and people wanted to have real conversations about their business and this business and the challenges they were having. And um, things they had learned and things they wanted to share, things that were working for them. Uh, it just became a phenomenal place. And again, back to being an old dude. Uh, I remember AOL chat rooms in, you know, 1991, <laughs> yeah. 92. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so this is just the audio. Uh, and by the way, before that, we all had uh, conference calls. We all had group calls. Uh, you could dial certain numbers on your touch phone and uh, get three or four or five people on the phone at the same time. So mm -hmm. that's all it is. It's just the digital evolution, the, the, the platform-based evolution of things we've always done. And that is find our community and communicate and, and commiserate within our community. Uh, so it was a digital mastermind. It was a digital networking mm -hmm. opportunity. And it was a digital uh, place to feel uh, like I was a part of, uh, of the group that I've been a part of for most of 30 years and, and was missing. And, uh, and Clubhouse is actually where Troy and I met. Now, once we met on Clubhouse, we realized we have like live friends in common too, but mm -hmm. Troy is a part of, we're a part of this room on Fridays called Digital Hospitality that is put on by Cali Barbecue Media and Sean Walshap. And it truly is a mastermind. And I, 
I found out about Clubhouse, um, you know, the early 2020 as well. It was um, one of the owners of the W Marketplace, uh, who will be a future guest, but that's a economic engine for women. Like if you want to buy anything that women create, you go to the W Marketplace. And she was saying that she was in these Clubhouse rooms. I'm like, what is Clubhouse? <laughs> and so I got on and it was a playground. I think you said it was a digital playground. It was all these people talking about all these different topics that mattered. And at that time, I was really involved with the final process of my book. And so I would type in the search bar, book marketing. And then I would listen into like every single room about book marketing. And then I was in the middle of lifting and shifting all these hotel contracts. So then I would go in the search bar and type in hotel revenue directors. And then I was listening on what the hotel revenue directors are saying, because it helped me inform how I was going to negotiate contracts. So it true. And then I found this digital um, hospitality room Fridays at 10 a.m. And that to me has been the most powerful room because it's truly a space where everybody gives. Everybody wants you to learn the lessons that they learned from the week before that they're heading into. And um, and I, I do agree with you, Troy. It's a it's a powerful tool that not still not a lot of people use. I think it's a really powerful tool. Yeah. And, you know, by the way, we've made some fantastic friendships, uh, you know, and many of us have met in person at a variety of events or gone and seen each other in person. Uh, we've built real meaningful relationships, both both professionally and otherwise. I have um, two business partners that I met on Clubhouse that we created uh, uh, reasons to work together. And, and it's been very fruitful. Um, on the other side, most people don't know is I'm a a pretty active member of the pizza club on clubhouse uh and it meets four nights a week and that's a big commitment i don't do it four nights a week always but uh because of that i flew to new york and had pizza with a big group of friends did a big big pizza tour moreover than that it's actually given me two years of research into the industry from industry leaders from some of the best in the business from homemakers all kinds of uh trends and things have been illuminated through that conversation four nights a week by the way and uh and guess what i'm in negotiations to buy a pizza restaurant so you know we're we're, we're putting our money where our learnings are coming from and by the way a lot of it was on clubhouse yeah knowledge is power man um so going back to we're talking about giving back like whether it's information you're giving back i'm just curious trey what is your philosophy on giving back? I know you're involved with the Chamber of Commerce. It looks like you're involved in um, some of the homeless programs. Like, what is what is your just human philosophy on giving back? How do you do it? How frequently? And um, and you know what what are you involved with? It's in my DNA. I've been on the board of a nonprofit since I was 23 years old. Um, my father ingrained in me the importance of humanity. Um, my father was a uh, Special Forces, uh, Green Beret, Air Rescue Medic in Vietnam. He volunteered for both. Uh, he actually filed a federal lawsuit against the United States Army to let him back in when they medically discharged him after he rehabbed himself. Uh, we never drove by a car broken down on the side of the road that we didn't offer them water, a ride, or a phone. Uh, it just was, it's in my DNA. Uh, I have to, uh, I have to connect with humans. I have to be a part of um, giving what I have to others. Um, it, 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 I don't know any other way to say it. So yes, I, I do stay involved in, you know, your interests change in, over life. You know, I, I, I was involved in uh, animal abuse and animal rights uh, law uh, at one point. Uh, I've grown up around animals. My dad rescued uh, uh, exotic animals uh, in Miami from all of the drug dealers and, and all that kind of stuff in the 70s and 80s. So I was big into animal rights and animal rescues for a long time. 
Um, and, and that sort of has translated to the homeless issue, which is just absolutely always broken my heart and always, uh, I've always thought that the richest country, one of the richest countries in the world has a greater responsibility. My father being a Vietnam veteran had to sue, uh, for 17 years to get his, um, to get his proper compensation, uh, for what happened to him, uh, on duty. And so, um, so veterans affairs and giving back to that community, which often translates into homeless. Uh, so, so I'm always involved. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I've sat on the board of our Chamber of Commerce, third largest city in L.A. County uh, for six years almost now. I was the chamber chair. I've been on the executive committee. I've run several other committees. I'm in charge of advocacy now, uh, internal advocacy. Sorry. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm still very active there. And on the homeless thing, I'm on the city task force so that our city can have its own plan and uh, and be thoughtful around how the city itself that I live in wants to uh, to to meet the need that's there and and help prevent homelessness in general uh, through, through a variety of programs. So yeah, very active. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of uh, effort, uh, you know, uh, a lot of time away from the family. I try to get my family involved wherever I can in these activities, but uh, I, I think it's incumbent upon all of us. If you have it, uh, you must give of it. So um, there's, look, we've all been there. Uh, basically, we've all been, I, I, I've, I've had a negative bank account plenty of times in my life. Yeah. I, I wrote a check for a taxi ride to get to an airport once because I was stuck somewhere uh, that I knew wasn't going to clear. And then, then, then you know, uh, I had to make it right later. But, um, you know, things that you learn through life uh, and responsibilities, uh, it, it is, once you learn it, you got, you got to share that and, and send that down the pike to others so that they too can learn it. And look, the information highway has been built in my lifetime and, and there's many advantageous uh, opportunities there that most pe that we didn't have um, that, that I think make things a little bit easier for folks today. Um, but, uh, I, and I love, by the way, the interconnectivity of the internet allowing us to send money uh, to a GoFundMe or, or uh, sign a petition or share a, a repost on TikTok about something important more people need to know about. I, I love the globalization that the internet uh, allows us to all participate uh, in a variety of things. So yeah. I, I think it's important. Give with, and, and my philosophy, by the way, on that is, you know, give without expectation. You just, yeah. you just do it because it, it means something to you. You do it because you know it's right. You know, you do it because you hope it's going to make a difference. And, um, and you don't worry about measuring that result. You don't worry about uh, keeping score. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, speaking of maybe giving advice, if we were going to go back to the mid nineties and talk to Troy, right as you were turning 21, but give him advice based on oh. what you know now, what <laughs> advice would you give you? Manny knows this is one of my favorite questions. I think it provides so much insight. Into I'm going to be person. really shallow. I I'm going to be super shallow. And then I'll look for, I'll look for something a little more, uh, you know, <laughs> philosophical for you in between the lines. Uh, invent Amazon, invent Google, invent Twitter, invent Facebook. <laughs> Facebook probably, I should have invented Facebook, being very social, being very outgoing, being very, uh, you know, extroverted in that way. I, I should have just invented Facebook. I, I should have seen that coming. Uh, I was on book. AOL. <laughs> yeah, I was on AOL before anybody I knew and, and, and many things before that. Did you guys know Prodigy and uh, before Netscape yeah. was Prodigy? And, and so lots of things on the internet. But uh, uh yeah, the, the advice would be uh, be a better steward of your income, uh, invest earlier, invest more. Uh, life is not about the riches you have today, but the freedoms you have later uh, in life if you build it right. But uh, so that's my advice to everybody is I, I uh, really financial and and um, and career advice in that way. Uh, 
but what would I tell my 21 year old self besides a shallow answer like that? Um, <laughs> I don't think that's shallow. I think that's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I was never afraid to take chances. Um, uh, I, I would encourage myself to not be fearful of those moments of uncertainty that it, it actually is going to work out. And guess what? You can, the advice to myself is, is you're never going to write the script and follow the path that you think you're going to like, we all think, especially young, right? We're in the twenties, we've mm -hmm. got it all figured out. We're in control. We have our hands on the wheel. We are driving this bus. It is our bus on our road going to our destination. And the reality is, is you're never going to get anywhere by yourself. It is all about who you know and who helps you along the way. And you just have to ask for it. If you just ask people to give of themselves, um, you'll get somewhere a lot faster, but the destination is not the one you think you're headed towards. Uh, that's a really important lesson that I would definitely uh, tell myself because I thought I had it all figured out and I was in control of all destinations on the, uh, on the train <laughs> stop on the train stop line. And that's just not true. Got it. Okay. Appreciate you sharing that. Um, so, Manny, I think we have like a couple minutes more before we get to our final questions that Troy will ask us. So what sort of kind of final questions do you have for him as we get well, to the home stretch? I have one, but I know you're going to probably want to ask your favorite other question about books. So do you want to ask your favorite oh, other? I know you. Yes, yes. I have one, but I'll, I can wait to the end. But I don't want to. I, I don't want to cheat. The stack is right there for you. Oh, the stack. This is what Marty's question is right here. Yes. Pull the stack there's, actually, there's two stacks. There's okay. the read and reread stack, and there's the I still need to finish reading stack. Oh, what are like the cool. three or four books that you think people should like really stop what they're doing right now and start to read them immediately? Well, I am going to show my age, but it never changes. And I think how we open this conversation uh, it was heavily informed by this book. If you've not really digested i mean understand which takes reading it three or four times to really understand the seven habits of highly effective people i stumbled into the covey system by accident i bought a day planner for the kids in the room that was a book where you wrote down your appointments in <laughs> and your phone numbers uh and <laughs> kept notes in uh and, and so um uh, you know i that happened to be a stephen covey product that I bought. And I was like, what are all these sayings? What are all these lessons? What is this on the, on the side of this, uh, of this day planner book? And by the way, it was like huge. It was enormous. Um, beautiful leather thing though. Um, I was going to say, I, I love that. I had the it was suede. It was green yeah. and brown suede. It was crazy. Yes, uh, yes, so yeah. Pretty. So, uh, you know, that's an, that was a formative book. It, it really took a young man and gave him a, a, a system. It, and that's, that's really informed the rest of my being. And I still rely on it every day. Uh, I'd probably say seek first to understand, then be understood to myself uh, at least two or three times a day. And I try to say it to other people at least once a day. Um, so seven habits is super, super important. Um, you know, on the new side of life, um, I'll, I'll call out two: uh, the leadership blueprint by Tess Cox and her uh, writing partner, uh, Daniel Klar. Uh, this is one most people don't know and don't talk about. Um, this is a workbook. It's a book and a workbook. So you actually translate your learnings into your own words while you're reading it. I think that's pretty unique and phenomenal. Um, there's some seminars available to go along with that. I love that. And right now, I bought 36 of these. My wife was like, why are you spending $500 on uh, the same book? 
Uh, and I gave out I gave I gave out thirty five of twelve and a half by Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, by the way, any of Gary's books I think are really really um, great reference materials. Uh, there's a lot of life lessons, there's a lot of business lessons in there. So um, so those are the three I would start with. Look, I could be the normal guy and go Atomic Habits. You know, there's all kinds of great <laughs> stuff out there. Uh, but the ones that you know, I read Seven Habits once a year. I read several of the other Covey books. Um, uh, in addition, the eighth habit and uh, the four disciplines um, at least once a year, um, just to remind myself uh, what the system is and what the system is that I'm trying to live. Um, and then on the go forward basis, all right, Joe Caruso's in the room. Joe sent me this book. Thank you, Joe. John Cotter's uh, buy-in. Mandy, this is uh, basically the art of uh, convincing people to do what you want them to do. Uh, so that's new on my list. Um, yeah, those that's that's the that's the book story good. list right now. Yeah, that's a good one right there. Thank you for sharing. I yeah. like that you have the reread pile and yeah. the go forward pile because we all have books that we love, but rereading is powerful, especially you're at a different time in your life or a different mind space or mindset. There may be little nuggets that you pick up the second or third or fourth time around that you didn't the first time around. That's a nice tip. I'm gonna take that away. Yeah, That's right. I, I, yeah. You said it, Mandy. That's right on. Uh, you can read the same book once a year for five years and you will see, hear, feel, things will come off of that. You'll have resonating moments that never resonated. You skipped right. They just didn't, they didn't stick. They didn't really apply at the time, but they apply now. And I think that's super powerful. And, I, you know, I, I, I know some billionaires that reread the same books regularly. And I think I picked that up and the Covey book was out of necessity. Um, I've used it as a platform for, uh, for leadership groups, for, for management teams at hotels and resorts and uh, private clubs and, and restaurant groups. I use it as a tool, uh, especially for younger first-time management groups or managers within groups to help give them some form of foundation, a roadmap to use uh, as a point of reference. We all need some uh, strong ground to stand on. And I, I think that's one of the books that can lay that for you. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Okay. Here's my, here's my final question. 20 seconds or less. Troy, you ready? Yes. What's a mistake, a common mistake that you see restaurant or hotel operators making right now? Oh, that's the end of the question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought there's more context. Any mistake. Um, or big uh, mistake. Wow. Like a big mistake that's a pet peeve that you're like, are you kidding me again? Like something that, uh, you know, that, that might translate to something they can fix. All right, I'm going to do a little bit bigger and I'm going to go real, real micro. So macro okay. is... Okay. Um, keeping their head down and keeping their earmuffs in. I think still uh, one to three or even sometimes five unit ownership groups, operators, owners and founders um, have a lot of audacity. They, they think they know the answer. They think they've got it figured out. The reality is the world changes around you all the time. And by the time you look up and realize you're not going to recognize the world you're in, and that's probably going to be a problem for your businesses um viability in that new world so you have to adapt you have to be flexible um it doesn't mean change your name change your menu change your entire business thesis all the time it doesn't mean uh not having a plan but i, I do think there's a lot of people that still have their head in the sand or just don't see the power because you know historically in restaurants particularly you didn't just didn't do a lot of networking if you're working 40 60 80 hours a forget 40 
you're working 50 to 70 hours a week in your restaurant <laughs> that you own and operate and manage and you're responsible for every aspect. Um, I get that we just didn't have time to look up, but you've got, this is the classic work on your business, not in your business. The, the power is to get out from behind the counter, out from behind the podium, out from behind the kitchen line. You've got to get out and look from the outside in and see what your business needs and be the solution that goes and gets it. So that's on the macro, on the micro, uh, especially in restaurants, um, not really understanding your numbers, not really understanding how inventory and supply chain work, meaning how contracts and pricing um, change and move on you without noticing in a lot of tricky ways, but really not knowing the sales and who buys what, when, and why from you. Really understanding who the different customers are, what it is they buy, when do they buy it, and why. Why you versus all the options they have. You really got to understand that. And, and yes, financial reports and point of sale, menu mix, product mix uh, reports, but taking that to another level, a much deeper, more analytical level. It's something we do very early on, even pre-engagement with our client base. It's something we want to know going in. And so uh, it's very, very telling. There's a lot of information that I don't think many operators understand how, uh, why, and what it will illuminate. And, and somebody's got to show that to you. You know, you're not just going to read a report and read numbers on a page and understand what it's telling you. But a lot of technology exists to help with that. There's a lot of solutions providers that really take that information, digest it, and put it in a more um, a more consumable way for you as the business owner to make decisions on. I love that. I like the micro and macro. Thank you. That was a great answer. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So now we turn it over to you. First up, you can ask either Mandy or myself a question, then we go to the other person that's left over. So who do you want to start with and what question do you have for that person? Okay, I'm going to start with Mandy. This is a work one. Mandy, um, having known you for a little bit and heard a lot and and have your book and um, and I'm sorry I didn't name your book as one of the rereads. I, I just haven't finished it fine. yet. Probably. It's fine. It's, it's on the list. It actually gave it to my wife because she's in sales. Um, <laughs> not that we are in our own sales. Uh, but <clears throat> you talk a lot about um, your giving back, right? And, and writing the book is one way you've given back to your to your segment of our industry, but also you're teaching, you know, a guest lecturer and you, you have a passion for sharing with young people the path of the sales career. Look, you're the most passionate person I've ever met in the sales industry. Like I just, you are a preacher of the value of this segment of the business as a career path. And I think that's really fascinating because I've never heard anybody do or say that. So I want to know a little bit more about that from you, Mandy. If you could tell me what it is about sharing that passion, encouraging youth to consider this career path specifically, and what life lessons and what, what benefit you see uh, encouraging young people to take that path. I'm, I'm really curious to go a little deeper on the why and the how that that makes sense and, and, and how you see that impacting. Yeah. Wow. That's a great question. I don't think I could do it in 20 seconds. Amani, don't time me. Don't time okay, me. Okay. Okay. Yes, don't spend the, time for a moment. Carry don't, on. <laughs> don't throw the sand thing upside down. I'll, I'll, bust the, I'll bust the bottle. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, well, a couple of things. So I am, I'm passionate about hospitality sales because I've so long, but I'm a buyer, right? And so I see 
salespeople struggling all day long. They're struggling to get me information. They're struggling to interact with their bosses. They're struggling to understand their product and I feel their pain. So from a buyer's perspective, you know, sometimes I just want to reach through the phone and give them a big old hug and be like, listen, it's going to be okay. There's a couple things you can do that's going to make your day a little bit better. You know, so from a buyer's perspective, I want to make my life a little bit easier and teach people how to do their jobs a little bit better because that will kind of speed up my sales process. So that's a little selfish on my end. But from an empathetic standpoint, I, I know it's really hard to be in hotel sales right now. And I want to give them whatever tools and resources they need just to minimize that pain because it feels a little painful to work at a hotel right now. So that's that's one perspective as a buyer. Um, but this whole thing about me really, truly believing that kids should be taught sales, like we shouldn't start sales. You know, it's to me, I think we all learn sales at some point, but we don't become masters of that craft until we're in our 40s or 50s, which I think is just a load of baloney. I think if we teach kids sales early, right, early on, then by the time they get into their 30s, they're the masters. By the time they get to their 40s, then they can start teaching people. I just feel like we're stunted. Um, and, I, and I have a little example on that. As I was at a trade show 11 years ago or so. It was at an international trade show. There was an Asian business um, person I was working with. He was younger. And he walked me through the sales process about selling his hotel. And it was magical. I mean, I wanted to link arms with this kid and follow him wherever he went. Because from a technical standpoint, he did everything that you're supposed to do without making me feel icky about it. And I remember thinking, this kid is doing it right. And I know that there's a lot of places where we live that, it, that we're not doing it right. So what are they doing there in this country at that hotel group that we're not doing? And how do we teach kids early on? And it's not necessarily about hotel sales. It's about like, you know, your kid wants to go to a soccer tournament and they want to sell a candy bar. Don't sell me the candy bar. Tell me when I buy this candy bar, tell me what that means to you. Like you're going to gain new soccer skills or you're going to be able to potentially get a soccer scholarship. And I, I think it, I just, I'm really passionate about it. I think um, I also, my very, very first sales job I had, I was taught growing up that salespeople are bullshitters and they're liars. And so my very first sales job that I got, I lied about it. I'm like, oh, I'm an account uh, coordinator or whatever it was, but I was a salesperson. And I don't, I don't want, I want to get rid of that stigma. I just don't, I don't, salespeople are educators. So I don't, I don't think it's cool to teach kids that salespeople are BSers. I just, I think we got to call it what it is and show the value of it and then share that over time. So that was a three-part answer to one part question. I love those, it. Some, no, those are there's... some of the reasons I feel the way I do. And I really, I really do like teaching and training sales. I really, I, I believe in the value of it. I think it translates in all different parts in your life, not just business. It does. I agree. Yeah. Thank All you right. For that question, All right. Sorry, so Amani's next. Twenty seconds more. Yes, Amani. I am next. It's okay. You did perfectly. It's fine. Okay. No worries. Thank you. So Amani, you kind of live a digital life, right? You do things on Twitch uh, as as your career, and um, I, I very fascinating to me to see people that can translate um, and and create and and be innovative in that way. I'm curious. If, if there's one or two lessons, surprises, something that when you embarked on that journey and you said, man, I'm going to do this. This sounds cool. This sounds interesting. Or I think I can make a, an impact. I can reach people I wouldn't reach. Like, 
what what are a couple of lessons that maybe were surprising you didn't expect look I didn't, i'll give you an example i didn't expect to make great friends on clubhouse and business partners and i was just there to learn and listen and get perspective and if i had something to share that i thought would help others great this is a conversation and i did not expect that to to leap out of the phone and come into the real world so i'm just curious about your perspective on that i think um we'll kind of keep with the topic of like twitch and like streaming some things that surprise me are lessons is that it really is like a global world like i would never have expected to have people in my stream from you know amsterdam someone was in my stream last night from nairobi kenya from greece like i think i underestimated the global reach that the internet uh offers us and that was a big underestimation underestimation from myself and um that was uh that was crazy because you could see it pretty early on especially people in the uk and other areas of the country were tuning in so that was one thing another lesson is just um the whole this whole process what we're doing now live streaming it's been a massive learning curve but really there are a lot of resources out there that you can like you can take a little piece of this little piece of that you can get on youtube you can get on reddit i underestimated all the sources that i had at my fingertips to help me kind of learn perfect ask questions i mean discord there's all these different services that if you can find the right uh, communities you can learn a lot you can kind of create your own little class or educational platform to learn and like when I was learning live streaming, I started from scratch. I had my computer, the camera on my computer, and that was it. No microphone. Well, I had a microphone because I used to podcast. I still podcast, so I use that. But everything else in terms of finding out what camera works, finding out the best way, the software, how to use OBS, open broadcasting software, it was just learning. And then for me, I love to kind of give back to help people learn with me so that we can all kind of, what's it, like a rising tide raises all boats, so to speak. And so... I want to kind of give back. So that's, that's how we created programming on my Twitch channel, where Mondays I would just teach people what I was learning. We'd answer questions. It, it was massive. Now it's smaller because people have learned, so they've kind of graduated onto other things. But at the at its heyday in like late 2000s, early 2001s, like I was really pulling some high numbers. And that was just because I was giving back, getting people to share their stories. We were talking about technology, like use what you have before you buy something. You'd be surprised what you can do. So I think those are like the biggest lessons, just the international reach that the Internet affords us. And then just learning a new skill, like a new trade. You know, if you use your resources, you can learn at a pretty rapid pace because what we're doing now, I would have never imagined we could do two years ago. Because what we're using a very complex broadcasting system that networks use. We have all these different scenes. We have all these different overlays and splashes and things. And it's crazy how fast I've learned how to do this and how proficient I've become. So that's probably a little long answer to your question, but that's kind of the lessons and kind of the digital uh, learning that I have <laughs> been through the last few years. No, that's fantastic. I mean, you're right. The, the reality is we, the three of us, uh, not knowing everybody's age, are of a certain age that at least... <laughs> It was not native to pick up the phone and get an answer, right? And so um, for us, it's still learning that these tools even exist. And when we do, we're fascinated, right? And how fast it, the answer's there, you know? And uh, I love Gary Vee's answer is a G-O-O-G-L-E. You know, just, <laughs> just look it up. The answer's there, you'll be fine. Put the time in, right? And we just didn't have that. So it is fascinating to see younger folks, like, you know, the answer's in the palm of my hand all the time. I just have to watch 20 videos and I can figure that out. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm encouraged by what the future looks like. Yeah. 
Well, I think this is our time to first to say thank you very much for being an amazing guest and agreeing to come and sharing your wisdom and expertise with us. Um, just great stories, great lessons. So just thank you very much on behalf of me. I know Mandy will have her own thanks too, but yeah, just great meeting you. Stay in touch with us. Mandy, what do you, what else do you want to say? And bid thank you. You always <laughs> mic drop the nuggets, Troy. And uh, thank you for what you do for our industry. And thank you for helping hotels, restaurants, venues be better. And thanks for sharing your time today. It's been awesome. Well, thank you guys for having me. I just, it, you know, obviously uh, getting to know both of you and in, just enjoyed the opportunity to share thoughts and hopefully inspire somebody someday. You know, this video will potentially live on forever. And so who knows when somebody will watch this and think back to, wow, they had it pretty hard back then. Now, now, now maybe. <laughs> we have to go back and look at some lessons and learn from history. So hopefully we've taught a history lesson here that will linger on for some time. I think we have. I think we have. Yes. Um, so thank, thank you. Give a round of applause. Appreciate it. And we'll be in touch. Thank you for tuning in to Adventures in Business. Don't forget to rate and review our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening it on. And don't forget to share it with your friends and anybody that might be as much of the business nerds as Amani and I are. See you next time for another captivating interview.